Good morning, church. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us if you're online today, and thank you for joining us here in the sanctuary. It's good to have you with us. If you're a guest with us today, appreciate you being here with us, and uh, if uh, you are a guest, we have a special gift for you on your way out. There you'll see a little desk by the door on the way out to the parking lot, and uh, you stop by there and you'll get a special gift. We also have a QR code in the bulletin, and if you'd care to take a picture of that and uh, enter your information uh, and let us get to know who you are, and uh, we'd love to be able to do that. Listen to this passage of scripture found in John chapter 17, which we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, Remember that he's praying for us. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was praying for us. This is what he said in part. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has, has been lost except the son of destruction. We can say amen to that. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, he's praying, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your truth and for allowing us to uh, know that you prayed these things for us and that you are keeping us. We're in the world, but you are keeping us and you are holding us tight. Bless this service, we pray. May your spirit be here in a very evident way, in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue this morning, I have a couple of uh, announcements for you. Uh, Number one, after the service today, we're having a family matters meeting uh, in the fellowship hall. There's going to be a light lunch for you, so you have something to eat, and we're going to be discussing a couple of really important uh, matters uh, with you as a, a church body. And uh, we're happy to have Pastor Joel here today with us, who's going to be, going to be speaking about, um, well, kind of about Refugee Bridge and, and, and reaching, I'm going to let him speak for himself. I have no idea what he's going to say, but I know that's why he's here. And we're glad to have you today, Pastor. Um, so please stick around afterwards. Uh, number two, uh, if you are interested in uh, baptism or church membership, Uh, We started that class today, but you can still jump in on it uh, next week and still get an opportunity to be involved with a baptism at the end of the month. So uh, let me know if you still want to be a part of that. We're so happy uh, for Brooklyn and her upcoming uh, wedding. We're not so happy about her moving on us, but we're happy about her wedding and her new life. And uh, we're inviting you to uh, Monday the 30th. Join uh, for uh, the shower that they're going to be having for her, and you can sign up for that. Also, um, who's coming to dinner? I don't know either. 
I don't know because none of you have signed up yet. So I have no idea. There's a board out there in the, in the foyer where you can sign up for who's coming to dinner. Either you can go somewhere or you can have someone come in. Now, I know there's a, like all this stuff about COVID and, you know, well, who am I going to get? And are they going to be sick? Nobody that is sick is going to show up at your house. Right? Right? All right. So be free to sign up to have somebody to come in. It could be a dessert or it could be a full-fledged dinner. It's up to you. You can sign up for one or the other. Uh, but we, we are doing this because we want us to gather, to get to know one another, to encourage one another, to, get, to be together as family. And so will you please take that opportunity? And uh, how fun is that to have somebody into your home that maybe you didn't know before? <gasps> that awesome. funny or fun or scary? Okay, so <laughs> as long as you don't have COVID, you can come. All right, so it is really a fun time, and we really want to encourage you to do that. And then finally, our condolences to Jenny, who a couple of weeks ago lost her brother, and uh, we've been praying for her and neglected to mention that last week, but we want to continue to pray for, for her and her loss. Um, we're going to pray, and uh, then we have one more song, and then... Um, but after I pray, the uh, kingdom kids, you can be dismissed, and then Pastor Joel is going to come. Lord, thank you again for allowing us to be here. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bring a special anointing upon Pastor Joel as he comes and shares the word. And uh, help us as a church body as we gather uh, to hear from you, to know your voice, to know the direction you're leading us as a church. And we commit the rest of this time to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be here at Northgate. Uh, like you've heard, I'm Pastor Joel, and I think I know what I want to talk about. At least I do. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that welcome. Both the Pastor Marks, actually. Uh, as I stand here, I, I want to acknowledge uh, the the heart full of gratitude that I have uh, for you, the people of God at Northgate. Uh, some of you may be new here and may not realize that Asian Christian Church, which I pastor, has been uh, your guest here in the building and in your hearts and in your lives for many, many years. I've been here for a little over 13 years now, and Asian Christian Church has been here much, much longer than that. And I have to commend you uh, for your hospitality, your warmth and your support, your encouragement, uh, and the home that you've given us in this facility and in your hearts is key to what Asian Christian Church is today. We wouldn't have been what we are if you hadn't welcomed us 
and been hospitable for us and prayed and encouraged us as you have done. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I want to bring greetings as well from our leadership team as well as the congregation. And this sense of gratitude is not just the pastor speaking, this speaks for our people. We are very, very grateful because we have, you have allowed us space to be a sister congregation uh, with you. You have been hospitable in the most Christian way. And I am not standing here to speak about Christian hospitality to lecture you about how to be hospitable. You already know that. But what I want to point our attention to is that new commandment that Jesus gave uh, to his disciples and to us. When he said in John 13, verse 34, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. I want to speak today, uh, in a sense, about the DNA of Christian hospitality. And to do that, I'm going to be weaving a few scriptures and the teaching they have with a bit of a testimony about how God has led Asian Christian Church through these years in engaging, in attempting to be obedient to Jesus' new command. So there are different strands, strands of biblical teaching, and some of the things we at Asian Christian Church have experienced of God's guidance and provision as we've engaged in the ministry of refugee sponsorship and settlement. I want to draw, <coughs> excuse me, I want to draw your attention to uh, an interaction between uh, the people known as the Pharisees uh, at, in, in Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to read that scripture to you, verses 34 to 40. You have these, this is what uh, the scripture says there. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, by the way, a side note, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees are mischaracterized as religious leaders. I want to submit to you that they were not religious leaders. Well, th that's not the only thing they were. They were primarily political readers leaders. And so you can think about how they're trying to one up on the other. So when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, obviously delighted. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, that is, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Sometimes I wonder at Jesus's patience. He hears that question, he knows what they're trying to do, and he gives them a straight answer. He says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. But being Jesus, he wasn't going to let them just stay all super spiritual in the heavens. He wanted to bring them down to earth, and he said, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gives this beautiful summary. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I have often wondered, after such 
a magnificent summary of the entire law of God. That when Jesus would meet in his, with his disciples just a little while before he is going to go to be crucified and give his life for you and for me. He talks to them and gives them a new standard, a new commandment. He's saying, yes, the law has told you, love your Lord God with all you've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. But then he says, I want to give you a new commandment. I'm going to give you a new standard. And that is John 13, 34, which I read to you just a moment ago. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, that old standard of love was that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And that, if we did it today, would still satisfy the requirement of the law. But now, Jesus calls his disciples, his church, his body, you and I, to a new commandment, to love one another as he has loved us. We're called to love one another, brothers and sisters, in Christ, like Christ has loved us. To love like Jesus means to love self-sacrificially and to love relationally in community. Now, this may be hard for some to deal with, but the, but the new commandment explicitly calls us to love one another of the faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ, just as Christ loved us, self-sacrificially. So, are we not to love others, those outside the faith, those who are not part of the family of God? Two points must be made in answering this question. First, who are the family of God? Who are our brothers and sisters? They're all, regardless of race or ethnicity or language or socioeconomic status, all those who believe in Jesus Christ. They're all our family, our brothers and sisters. They are one family with us. Or better put, we are one family with them. Second, we are free to love all the others, even beyond the family of God, those who are not in the worldwide family of God, not followers of Jesus Christ, we are free to love them as Jesus loved us, self-sacrificially. Nothing in Jesus' new commandment limits us from loving those outside the faith with the same degree of intensity and sacrifice. The new commandment, to love one another as Jesus loved us. First, and I want to make two points here. First, it expands the very definition of who our family is. It is the worldwide global family of believers and followers, believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. We are obligated to love not just the neighbor down the road, not just the neighbor with the same color of skin as ours or who speaks the same language as ours, or who has the same customs and culture as ours. But to consciously, 
and deliberately and intentionally make the decision to love those who are one with us in the faith, even if they are different from us in every other way. The second point that I want to make is that Jesus' new commandment gives us a radical standard of love by way of his example. Just as he gave his life, sacrificed himself for our sake so that we might have life and we might have it abundantly, now he invites us, invites you and me. No, indeed, he commands us to love our brothers and sisters in the worldwide family of God with a self-sacrificial love that rejoices and celebrates our relationship with him. We, the one family of God. This, Jesus said, is how the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. We must learn to love as Jesus loved those who live near us, especially those who are part of our church community. But we are also obligated to love those who are part of the global church, especially those in difficult circumstances and situations of dire need. Now, for Asian Christian Church, this has meant a particular focus on the persecuted, those Christian brothers and sisters who have experienced hostility, threats, violence because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their obedience to him. Something terrible happened on a Sunday morning in Pakistan that galvanized our church, Asian Christian Church, into action. On 22nd of September, 2013, a twin suicide bombing took place at All Saints Church in Peshawar, Pakistan, in which 127 people and more than 250 injured. Our response? We prayed. Oh boy, how we prayed. Because we didn't know in the midst of that tragedy what else we could do. So we prayed. And I thank God for Ingrid from Northgate Baptist Church who had been coming to us and we had met often in small groups and then also at the church. And every time she had talked to us, and this is your contribution, Northgate, to this whole process of, of how God had worked with us, he, she would always mention a, a, a mention a verse from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. And probably you remember her mentioning it too. The verse reads, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Did that verse capture our imagination when we heard about this twin bomb blast in the All Saints Church? Our moderator at that time, Brother Salim, he said, how would we have felt, our little congregation, if one Sunday morning something like this happened to us and we found that so many of the people we so deeply loved and related to were part of our church were wiped out in an instant. How would it be to come back to church next Sunday if you were able to and see so many seats empty, 
so many children because they were children. It could have been worse, but one of the worst bits about this event was that the, the two people, they got in, they were into the, the yard of the church there, and they were going to make their way into the building, and uh, they were prevented by a policeman and a security guard from the church, and so they decided to explode their bombs outside, okay, even though their intent was to go in the building uh, while the service was going on. But the heartbreaking thing was that Sunday school had just been dismissed in another building, and the children and the Sunday school teachers were walking through the same yard when this explosion happened. So many children and so many dearly loved Sunday school teachers lost their lives. We prayed. We prayed. We set up a project then we called the Overseas Relief Fund to provide relief to persecuted Christians and joined the rehabilitation efforts that were underway in the city of Peshawar. We focused our efforts on rehabilitating five severely affected families, providing livelihood and medical and other assistance. We prayed with them. We prayed for them. We raised funds. We organized a local team to coordinate, a local team in Peshawar to coordinate the rehabilitation efforts. We worked with the five families for almost a year and a half until they were resettled as best as possible under the circumstances. As a church, we got to know the family members. We prayed for them. We prayed with them. Our point person spent hours talking on the phone with them, counseling them, encouraging them. A desire to love them as Jesus loved us, sacrificially, relationally, was being fulfilled. We did not want to help through an anonymous donation through an organization, but we wanted, and God blessed us with a relational, hands-on ministry to people whose names and faces we knew. They were our brothers and sisters, our family, whose lives and whose pain became very real and tangible to us. When they cried, we cried with them. Hebrews 13, verse 3. Continue to remember those who are in prison as if you were together with them in prison. Those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, over the years, uh, uh, the persecution of Christians in Pakistan has been increasing, and many uh, are in, who were in danger, they had to flee the country. And just as our project with uh, the people in Peshawar was winding down, we, uh, we, came to, uh, we became aware of the dire need of the persecuted Pakistanis who had fled uh, Pakistan and had ended up in Thailand. And of course, they, some of them were in Malaysia and Sri Lanka as well. And an inquiry from a North American missionary in Europe came to us via his brother in Edmonton asking if our church would consider sponsoring a refugee family stuck in Bangkok, Thailand. Learning about the scope of the problem, literally thousands of people stuck there, we knew that if we were to make a dent into the problem, we would need to partner with other churches in the Edmonton area. Big lesson. Churches and concerned Christians would need to work together. And God orchestrated a meeting of several individuals, which... To cut a long story short, 
culminated in the ministry called Refugee Bridge, of whom you have heard already. All of us were new to refugee sponsorship, but we were eager and willing to learn, and we did. Yet another lesson, in addition to the lesson about partnering together with other Christians and with churches, this lesson was, it takes years of work between identifying a refugee family, raising funds, filing their applications, and then waiting for them to be processed before they will actually land in the city of Edmonton. And so once you file the application, what do you do? How do you keep the momentum, the enthusiasm, the team together? And so we came up with this strategic move. We said we will have to set up a pipeline so that one year when we have raised the funds, we have filed the application for one sponsorship family, we are working on the next one for the next year. And that is what we have done ever since we started, one after the other, and God helped us through that entire process. Our first two refugee families, as you've heard, arrived last year, and will, will soon, in a few months, will have completed their settlement years. The settlement process is challenging, it takes a number of people involved to work on various aspects. Worldwide, the problem of displaced people is only getting bigger. And the number of Christians impacted by persecution is increasing. I believe God is calling more and more churches to get involved in the sponsorship and resettlement of refugees as a regular ongoing ministry in the church. Now, Refugee Bridge over the years has acquired some knowledge and some expertise in this ministry, and we would love to help and assist churches in this as we are already doing. Together as concerned Christians and as churches, we can do more. Refugee Bridge's model of working with church partnerships and setting up a pipeline is working well. It is sustainable and it is scalable. And we are seeing the fruits of that. Now, I want to take you a little early in the passage that where, where this uh, verse that is the theme verse for our message today, uh, John chapter 13, uh, verse 34. I want to take you to the first 17 verses there. Bear with me. If you have your Bibles, you can open and follow along. But let me read this account of Jesus' washing his disciples' feet. Because there are some lessons that are directly relevant to the work that we are talking about. John writes, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Ah, and there you have Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but you will understand. Later you will understand. No, 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 Peter says, you will never wash my feet. 
So Jesus knew how to handle Peter. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked then? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you will do them. I'm going to draw out two lessons from this. But what was Jesus doing? Now, we normally think of this episode as emblematic of Jesus' humility, and that truly it is. But he was setting an example for his disciples to follow. His application, once again, is love and serve one another as I have served you, as I have loved you and served you. He was building a team, a community of servant-hearted people willing to love Christ's body, his community, self-sacrificially. The first lesson from this episode in our context, a ministry such as refugee sponsorship and settlement needs a team. A team. What God did for us and with, uh, with us in Refugee Bridge in our early few early years was to build a great team. We enjoyed being together. We knew what it meant to be fellowshipping with one another as people who follow the Lord Jesus. And we have learned over the years, building a great team is vital. We need to invest in the team. That is a priority. That is something that directly flows out of Jesus' example in washing the feet of his disciples. A second lesson from this passage that I want to draw, and it's again important for our ministry, is that Jesus washes the feet of his very weak and very fallible disciples, even the feet of Judas, the one who was to betray him. We must remember, we must remember that our team members and also the people we are sponsoring and helping resettle are human beings. We all show up with our flaws, our weaknesses, our propensity to sin. There is no such thing as a perfect resettlement process where everybody is absolutely satisfied with how everything is proceeding. Factor this into the ministry. We are imperfect beings with a propensity to sin who are dealing with imperfect people in the context of an imperfect, sin-filled world. It will not go the way you think it should. But at the end of it, with God's grace and much grace shared with each other, we will end up making a huge difference in the lives of people. His church will be built up and God will be glorified. Remember the God whom we serve. In the words of the apostle in Roman, uh, Romans 8, 28, he says, We know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. When we love as Jesus loved, when we serve as Jesus served, who exactly is it that we love and serve? And to help answer that question, I want to take you to another passage from Scripture. This is again Jesus speaking in Matthew 25, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And once again, bear with me, open your Bibles if you have them too there, but I'm going to read portions of this passage to you. The parable of the sheep and goats in chap Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, Jesus said. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I, Jesus said, was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I, Jesus said, was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I, Jesus said, was a stranger and you invited me in. I, Jesus said, needed clothes and you clothed me. Jesus said, I was sick and you looked after me. And he said again, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Brothers and sisters, when we love as Jesus loved and we serve as Jesus served, it is Jesus himself we are loving and serving. When in your small group you meet together and you talk to each other and you pray for each other, in the face of the person sitting next to you to, for the one that you're praying for, that is Jesus. You and I need to learn to see the face of Jesus in everyone whom we are, who's part of our community and the global, global worldwide church of God. That we might look into their eyes and know it is Jesus whom we are loving. It is Jesus whom we are serving. Let me summarize this. Three things that I've largely tried to bring before you as we've looked at Christian hospitality and, and summarized it as loving as Jesus loved. Number one, we have to learn to love self-sacrificially just like he did. Jesus did to sacrifice ourselves. We have to learn to love with a servant's heart just like Jesus did in washing his disciples' feet. And we have to learn to serve knowing that it is Jesus in the face and in the person of every person of need that comes across our way that we are serving. We are loving and serving 
Jesus when we do that. So dearly beloved of God, Northgate people who belong to Jesus Christ, when Jesus calls you to such love, will you follow him in his, ex in his example of radical Christian hospitality? Will you love and will you serve as Jesus loved and served?